Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. From ESPN Films, you're listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. Today, a queen of sorts. In 2012, two casinos accused Phil Ivey, one of the best poker players in the world, of cheating them out of $20 million. Ivy says he didn't cheat. He simply noticed something that the casinos didn't and exploited their mistake. Whether Ivy's play was cheating or not, you'll have to decide for yourself as you listen, but everybody agrees that what he did was brilliant. While the cameras and the court cases have focused on Ivy, the true mastermind of this scheme is a mysterious woman named Kelly. 30 for 30's Rose Eveleth tells her story. And now, a queen of sorts. Imagine the person who the coolest people in the world think is the coolest, most intimidating, mysterious person that they know, who they all want to hang out with. And that's Phil Ivey. I'd be more comfortable stuck in a car with a band of rabid weasels than I would going heads up in a potty and Phil Ivey. He's that good. You know, it's it's all the cliches. He is the Michael Jordan of poker. He was the Tiger Woods of poker. He's been dubbed the Tiger Woods of poker. Winner of nine World Series of poker bracelets and nearly $22 million in prize money. You're the king, baby! Feel Ivy number one! Phil Ivey is indeed a superstar in the world of gambling, and he has enjoyed a stellar reputation as a multimillionaire high roller until now. Phil Ivey says he did nothing wrong. But at the Borgata in Atlantic City, Ivey is considered a hustler. One of the biggest names in poker is in a fight with one of London's most prestigious casinos. In 2012, Phil Ivey, arguably the most famous gambler in the world, was accused of cheating casinos of multiple millions of dollars. To tell the tale of how Phil Ivey conned casinos out of at least $22 million, you need a team. At least a half dozen guys doing a combination of explanations. Off the top of my head, I'd say we're looking at two journalists. My name is Chad Millman. In 2009, I spent four days traveling around the world on a gambling tour with Phil Ivey for uh, a cover story in ESPN the magazine and a profile on the television show E60. Michael Kaplan, a senior feature writer at the New York Post and gambling columnist for Cigar Aficionado magazine. Two surveillance guys. My name's Bill Zender. I'm a gaming consultant. 
I've been in the gaming business for about 40 years now. My name is Willie with a Y. Allison, Y is so much more masculine than I. The founder of the World Game Protection Conference slash game protection consultant. A retired Advantage player? I mean, I'll just run some math by you. I am Ellie Jacobson, and I am formerly president of Jacobson Gaming. An undercover Advantage player. I'm Richard Munchkin. No, Richard Munchkin is not his real name. I'm a little freaked out, by the way. I just have to ask, is that a camera? And most importantly, a woman with a grudge. The casino said Ivy and a female accomplice. Ivy and a female accomplice. He had a partner with him who spoke Mandarin. My name is uh, Chang Yi San, the Chinese name. Everybody call me just Kelly. Kelly's son is probably the most dangerous advantage player in the world right now. And it's a woman, it's not a man, it's not Phil Ivy. Last August, Ivy came to Crockford's, London's oldest casino. The Target. Crockford's Casino, London. Crockford's is in the Mayfair area of London. A big, old British mansion on a street of big, old British mansions. There is no casino in Las Vegas that holds a candle to one of those places. You're met by people in tuxedos and and just treated at the very highest levels. It looks like the kind of place where people either get rich or get murdered. Possibly both. Like you might imagine James Bond wearing a tuxedo to a place like that, and that'd be exactly right. And on August 20th, 2012, a Monday at 3.16 p.m., poker legend Phil Ivey and his female accomplice, Kelly Sun, were greeted at the doors. Phil wouldn't talk to us about what went down at Crockford's. He's a secretive guy. But he did talk to 60 Minutes Sports. How much money did you wire to Crockford's in London? Uh, I wired one million pounds. At Crockford's, there's always someone watching. Surveillance cameras track them from the moment they step through the doors. They also have listening devices everywhere in those places. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. If you're whispering, they're going to hear you. Elliot Jacobson, the retired Advantage player, is also a retired mathematician and a retired casino consultant. He's one of the few people in the world who knows exactly what took place that day. They were both wearing very comfortable clothing. They weren't dressed up the way you might imagine. Um, Somebody would get dressed up for a formal London casino. They walk into a private back room and sit down at a table. Kelly orders a green tea. She's wearing a white t-shirt and a black baseball hat. Her long nails are painted white. Phil is famous for poker, but today he's with Kelly. And while Phil might be the famous one, Kelly is the mastermind behind what's about to happen. And Kelly wants to play a game called Baccarat. It's the game of kings, and it's where all the good, juicy stuff goes on. Willie Allison, one of our surveillance guys, is the person that casinos call when they can't figure out how they got played. And he gets a lot of calls about Baccarat. When you look at the last 20, 25 years, the biggest scams by far have been Baccarat. You know, it's very lucrative for casinos. It's what you hear the big boys offer here in Vegas, the Macau, Singapore, Monte Carlo, London, all these places. It's glamorous. So you're dealing with uh, very wealthy people, celebrities. When you really want to hit a casino, you go for the big games. 
And players like Richard Munchkin know that Baccarat is a big game. Baccarat is the game that gets the most amount of action in the casino. It has the highest limits. You know, Kelly talked about being able to bet $300,000 on a single hand. The rules of Baccarat are pretty simple. Four cards are dealt. Do you have a player's hand and a banker's hand? And the person who's playing the game is wagering which of those two hands is going to get a total closer to nine. The key cards in Baccarat are seven, eight, and nine. Those are the most important cards. And all you're doing is betting on whether the player side is going to win or the banker side is going to win. You make no decisions. The dealer does everything. There's no skill. It's just flipping a coin. It's like a very simple game that's purely luck-based, normally. Unless you're playing with Kelly, then, then it's not luck anymore. It's a skill game. And that's because Kelly's son is an advantage player. Advantage play is doing something in a casino where you actually have an advantage. Now, the casino doesn't want you to have one. So, you know, at the most basic, you know, card counting is a kind of advantage play. There are some people who will kind of reverse engineer these games and they'll figure something out that the casino and the creator of the game doesn't even understand and they'll take advantage. I mean, it's playing out an advantage. A true advantage player is always trying to find a flaw in the system to be. They're like hackers. They think exactly the same. Advantage players are made, not born. And each one seems to have their own twisted origin story. For Kelly's son, it starts with revenge. I first did this in the MGM. You know why? MGM put me in the jet. In 2007, long before she was a high-end advantage player, Kelly was just a woman with a rich father and a plane ticket to Vegas. When she landed, she could barely speak English. Not speak uh, English, maybe only two, three words English. Her English has come a long way since then, but Kelly can't always find the words for what she wants to say in English. That's why we have to... So sometimes you'll hear a translated version of Kelly who sounds like this. I've known how to gamble since I was 14. If I saw people play cards in public, I would stop by and watch them. When she arrived in Vegas, it didn't take long for Kelly to learn two important lessons. Lesson number one, money gets you whatever you want. My dad was supportive. He transferred half a million dollars to MGM through their Hong Kong office. I stayed at the Skyloft at MGM in Vegas. It was all for free because of the money my dad prepaid. But she lost money like crazy. I mean, she would go there and they would like roll out the red carpet for her. They, they'd send planes, they'd put her up in the big villas, they'd give her a suite, they'd give her champagne, pay for her meals, pay for her to go to the clubs, give her, give her money to go shopping. Michael Kaplan knows Kelly better than any other reporter. He was the first journalist to really get to know her and the first to publish a profile on her. She lost eight figures in casinos, and her family financed it. She knew how casinos treated suckers because she was one. Lesson number two, if you owe a casino money, they will find you, and they will get their money back. She's at the MGM Grand playing Baccarat, probably, and she's with some friends, and the friend has no money left, and he goes, oh, can you get me a marker? It says you get some $100,000 marker. It says you got to pay it back, though. Because if you don't pay a marker in Las Vegas, that is the equivalent of passing a bad check. Kelly's friend didn't pay back the marker. And MGM came knocking. 
Six police officers came up to me and handcuffed me. I freaked out. I had no idea what I did wrong. They told me I owe $100,000 to MGM. They sent me to jail in Vegas. MGM put me in the jail. But uh, nobody knows three weeks in the jail. How do you feeling? Nobody knows my feeling. She viewed that as being very unfair because she'd lost a lot of money to the casino. That, she goes, for $100,000, they put me in jail. She's lost millions of dollars to, to these casinos. And she was really annoyed. And so she's like, I'm going to get the money back from MGM. When she got out of jail, Kelly was pissed. And she told a friend that she would get her revenge on MGM. I said, I would kill the MGM. She says she could kill MGM. I said, how? He says, how? He don't know. I said, okay, just watch. She says, watch me. Five years later, when Phil and Kelly walk into Crockford's on that August afternoon, they have a plan. They are there to pull off an advantage play. And for the play to work, they have to convince the casino to grant them a series of requests in order and to the T. Again, if at any point the act breaks down, they're just going to leave. The, the deal is over. They don't launch into their demands. First, they have to grease the wheels. There's a lot of preparation psychologically that goes into um, a move like this. One of the things you want to do is to make the people comfortable with you. So you're going to want to just shoot the breeze, have a drink, be friendly with the people who are on there, tell them about your story a little bit, fill in a backstory. Then they can start asking for things. They start small. We just request, oh, I want to play mini baccarat. So their first request was to move to a version called mini baccarat, where the players never touch the cards. Then they get into the trickier parts. They want new cards. What Phil and Kelly were looking for with cards with asymmetries along their two edges so that there was a slightly different design on one edge versus the other. There's, there are certain brands of cards that have patterns that go right up to the edge of the cards. And they, get, they come off of a machine and the machine cuts the cards. And they just, it doesn't cut it perfectly evenly. There's like an, a, they're asymmetrical. And when you find decks of these brands, certain brands are always, there's like a tiny difference. For example, if the back of the cards are covered in diamonds, those diamonds might be cut off at a slightly different point on the right edge of the cards compared to the left edge of the cards. See, very easy, you can see. This oh, side yeah, yeah. and this side, right? Okay, yeah. This is half... Okay. This is half. Yeah. This. And this is, so yeah, this has got the white. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that once someone shows it to you, you can see it for about a second. Wait, I don't get it. But for Kelly, who spent thousands of hours studying these tiny differences, it's easy. I make most money is this car because <laughs> this car is very easy for me. She has incredible eyesight and she's trained herself to be able to read these cards. Once you can see these asymmetries, you can pull all kinds of stunts. One of the early tricks I learned was to line all the cards up in one direction and have someone pick one and then turn the deck around so that when they put it back in, you could know which card they had. Right away, I can tell you, this is three cards. 
A or na? Right? Yes. <laughs> Kelly needs these kinds of cards so that she can execute the rest of the play. And absolutely the case that a high roller of Phil's stature would get that request on the spot. Normally, a casino would replace a set of cards after a couple of rounds of play. But once Phil and Kelly find the cards they need with these tiny asymmetries, they want to keep them. If they're not able to um, reuse the cards, they're not going to have any chance of beating the game whatsoever using this method. The casino says, sure, why not? They play a few more rounds, and then Phil makes another request. I requested an Asian dealer. I felt more comfortable with the Asian dealer. My companion was Asian. What they want mostly is a dealer that speaks Chinese. And that's because Kelly wants to speak to the dealer in Chinese. A, that's the language she's more comfortable speaking. And B, I mean, there is something to be said for the white pit bosses not understanding the conversation they're having. They get their Asian dealer, a woman named Kathy. Kelly chats with her in Cantonese and tries to make her think that she's dealing to a bunch of fools. They were joking around, um, doing a lot of banter with the um, floor staff, talking a lot about luck and various ways they could get lucky or pieces of clothing that made them lucky or, or ways that they were asking the game to be played that might make them more lucky. So they were doing a lot of banter that had this sort of purpose behind it. So many gamblers are superstitious, and casinos are just used to seeing people being superstitious. And it sort of is distracting also. I mean, and it, and it makes them look like they're just regular sucker gamblers. What Kathy doesn't realize is that she is about to become their pawn in a very expensive game. Kelly didn't always know how to wrap unsuspecting dealers around her finger. Years before she was the mastermind of a high-end casino heist, Kelly was a nobody, wandering around the casino floor looking for a lucky break. She's at, she's at the win at Win Las Vegas, and they had a, um, a Baccarat promotion where, you know, if you deposited a certain amount of money, you get to play in this Baccarat tournament. So she deposited 250000 and she promptly lost most of the money. I was at the casino waiting for my father to send me more money. And she's wandering around where the um, slot machines are. And I saw Eddie playing a dollar slot machine. He was playing really fast, and I thought, maybe he's a professional. I watched him play for a few minutes. He played so fast, so I talked to him. I said, are you a professional? Can you teach me how to play? He looked at me and he said, okay, you're a beautiful girl, I can teach you. So we went to the Venetian to play video poker. He put in $25, and after the second hand, won $100,000. I thought it was because he was a professional. He said, in the three years I've played video poker, I've never hit the 100000 You must be lucky. Can you be my girlfriend? I said, no, I wanted to play. I wanted to play Baccarat. He laughed at me. He said, only stupid Chinese people play Baccarat. But Kelly wanted to learn what this guy, Eddie, had to teach her. So eventually, she gave in. After a month, we started dating. He's a very important person in my gambling life. He taught me a lot. We went everywhere to gamble. He taught me video poker, video blackjack. He kind of took her under his wing. They go hit these casinos, win a ton of money, 
And they were traveling around the U.S. They were like this Bonnie and Clyde of、um, casinos. We would find out that a casino was having a promotion and we'd drive there. We won three cars a BMW, a Mercedes, and a Jaguar. With Eddie's help, Kelly went from a regular loser gambler to an advantage player. And not just any advantage player. Kelly's son is probably the most dangerous advantage player in the world right now. And it's a woman, it's not a man, it's not Phil Ivey. Back at Crockford's, it's just before 9 p.m. Kelly's son and Phil Ivey have set their trap. They've got the right game, the right shuffle, the right cards, and the right dealer. They just need one more thing. They want Kathy to turn the cards. Some of the cards they wanted, okay, turn it north south, and some of the cards they wanted turned east west. So if you imagine, if you flip the card from front to back, so you pick up the small end of the card and flip it straight over backwards, that leaves the two sides of the card in the same orientation as they started. But if you pick it up along one of the long sides and flip it over, then that changes the designs that are on the back of the two cards so that those edges are now along in the other orientation from what they previously were. Kelly tells Kathy that this turning thing is just for luck because they're superstitious. But it's not for luck. What they're really after is getting the dealer to deal the cards in such a way. That it changes the orientation of the asymmetry on the back of the cards so that the next time the cards are dealt, they can recognize what the card is by looking at those asymmetries. What Kelly is really asking Kathy to do is to sort the cards into two groups. She instructs Kathy to turn each card so that the valuable ones, the sevens, eights, and nines, are all oriented with their edge asymmetries pointing one way. And the non valuable cards are all oriented with their edge asymmetries pointing the other way. It takes a lot of balls to tell the dealer to turn cards for you. I mean, it's like borderline crazy. And it doesn't always work. Not every casino dealer can understand my requests. Every casino manager is different. Like all of us, some people are smart. Some of them just don't get it. Some of them, even if you teach them three times, they still mess it up. But I can't force them. But Kathy gets it, and she turns the cards. This move is called edge sorting. She didn't invent edge sorting. Like this, this has existed for decades. But nobody had ever seen it applied like this before. It was a brilliant. Thing to come up with.、Uh, you have to give her that. Ed Sorting's been around for a long time, but nobody had ever seen it in Baccarat. Matter of fact, when somebody said to me there was Ed Sorting in Baccarat, I went,、oh, well, what? No one had heard of this being done on Baccarat in a game that you're not supposed to touch the cards and the players didn't touch the cards. Kelly came up with this play in 2007 when she got out of jail and had settled her debts with MGM. And it was brilliant, but it was also expensive. Because when you want to casino, you want to have to request, I need a play mini bagger, I need a this dealer, I need a this, this, this. If you have a small money, like $100,000, $200,000, casino don't care. You request everything, they don't care. They say no. For this whole thing to work and to really get her revenge on MGM, 
Kelly had to play big. And to play big, she needed one more thing. A whale. A whale is a giant gambler. It's like somebody who's going to go there and put like, I don't know, a million dollars on deposit and be willing to, you know, lose that much money. Using her connections with other Chinese gamblers, Kelly found a handful of whales willing to finance her play. And over the course of about a year, she hit every MGM property she could. And a few others for good measure. Half a million here, 800,000 there. She hit the Aria, Treasure Island, Paris, Caesar, MGM Grand. I already have my luggage, everything. She went down there with an empty Louis Vuitton suitcase on wheels, like knowing they were going to be loading it up with cash. I say I don't need the cash. I don't need the check. After winning a million and a half dollars at the Aria in Las Vegas, surveillance guys like Bill and Willie started to notice. I get a call from a friend of mine who was a surveillance uh, director one of the strip casinos, and he called me up one morning and said, uh, you know, Bill, I don't like this play. I got a call. Something's up. We've got this Baccarat thing. It's this weird thing. And I was like, okay, that's weird. They, they're turning the cards? All right, there's a first clue. You're doing it? All right. First thing I said, let me see the cards. Um, and he sent me the cards. And I was like, this little bastard, little shit, right? I'm like, I, I see what's going on here. Both Bill and Willie wrote up the play in their surveillance industry newsletters, warning casinos about an Asian team conning dealers into turning cards for them. But they never mentioned Kelly by name. But Kelly's former boyfriend and mentor, Eddie, was reading those newsletters, too. He saw Willie's article. He saw that it said an Asian girl won one and a half million dollars at the Aria, and he called me right away. He recognized a Kelly Sun play when he saw one. He said, Kelly, was that you? I said, no. I didn't want him to know, but he was like, it has to be you. No one else could have done this. Eddie wanted in. In exchange, he had someone to introduce her to. A new whale. A big whale. And then Eddie said, hey, you want to make a big money? I said, how big? He said, like a... Uh, 20 million or 30 million. I said, of course I can make this money. He said, I need to choose one guy for you. He's very famous. I said, who? He said, Phil Ivey. Oh, I said, I know him. Phil Ivey. You couldn't ask for a better whale. Kelly had found someone who could take her play way beyond simply getting revenge on MGM. Someone who could launch her into a whole new universe of making money at casinos. And Phil had found someone who could do something that even the best poker player in the world couldn't. He always said, oh, I turn the car, I can see the car. He still don't know how. He don't know. Kelly, fuck you, Kelly, teach me how do you turn, how do you say? They were the perfect pair. I could not have come up with a better scenario than a Chinese woman who was known as a degenerate gambler, who had gone to jail for unpaid markers, and a guy who is known to be super wealthy and known to be a degenerate craps player and sports better. I couldn't have done any better. I mean, I can't imagine a better combination than that. I mean, maybe if it was Kelly and Yao Ming or something, 
then they were off to the races. You know, they they were playing all all over the place. They they called her baccarat machine. They would um they wanted her to be playing continually. In the world of advantage play, it's really a 24-hour business. When you have an edge, you're going to take advantage of it. So they had to make the play while they had the edge. So they are trying to make that play as long as possible. We know this game. Maybe we play one month, two months. They just they know, not long. That's why we have to. We really had to seize the time, every second and every minute. I remember once I had a birthday party and we all got drunk at night. In the morning, Eddie knocked on my door and asked me to go with him right away because Phil's private jet was already waiting to take us to Borgata. I said I haven't changed nor worn makeup. He said, "No need. You're a baccarat machine. You don't need makeup. You don't need any clothes. We can just buy over there." Once Phil and I played for two days nonstop at Borgata. He got so tired that he fell asleep on the ground. For months, they hit casino after casino with this play, until on August twentieth, twenty twelve. A Monday at 3:16 p.m., poker legend Phil Ivey and his female accomplice Kelly Sun were greeted at the doors of Crockford's. 10:13 p.m., their unsuspecting dealer Kathy starts a new game using the set of cards she just unwittingly sorted for them. She probably expects this game to go like the last one. That's not what happens. They just crush the game. Kelly is going to be sitting at a spot in the table where she can see the first card to be dealt in any round. So once they get the cards sorted, Kelly knows approximately what the first card to come out is going to be. Is it going to be a low card, which are the、um, cards with value zero, one, two, three, four, five, or is it going to be a high card, a seven, eight, or nine? In practice, the edge is about six and a half percent over the house. Six and a half percent might not seem like much, but in casino land, it's huge. Card counting on a good day would get you one percent. Six percent is an enormous、um, advantage to have over the casino. Phil and Kelly are so confident that they start asking if they can bet more than the house normally allows. I think that he started out in the fifty thousand dollar range and gradually moved up to about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a hand, and he needed to get approvals at each stage to move up. So, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a hand at a six percent edge is really a fortune in the making. Why don't they just give me key to the vault? You know, they just go right in there, take what they want, because this is stupid. The Tiger Woods of poker and his mysterious mastermind play until 3:47 a.m. They win two million dollars. Then they make one last request before calling it a night. When they come back in a few hours, they want the same setup, the same game, the same cards, the same dealer, and the casino agrees. That afternoon, Kathy's shift starts at 2 p.m. Phil and Kelly show up at three. And sit down at a table in the back room, and they start to play again. And they start winning more and more, and and it just goes all their way. Even when you have an advantage, there's a chance that you could still lose. But they both had an advantage, and they had a lucky streak, sort of at the same time. So it took、um, almost no time at all for. Just the money to start rolling in, and, and suddenly they're just winning an extraordinary amount of money. In just over three hours, they win an additional ten million dollars. 
And the question is, well, what do you do in that circumstance? How do you get out of there? They reached a certain point, and Kelly was afraid that they wouldn't be able to cash out, and she said, we should stop. My son would plead, if we make a five million, I stop. Phil didn't want to stop. He wanted to keep going because they were they were doing great and they were running really well. You might think that they'd be excited, cheering, jumping up and down, but they're not. They're cold as ice. Watching them, you almost forget that they're betting $150,000 a hand and winning millions. And Chad, the journalist who spent time with Phil, says that's normal. In those scenarios, if you're on an open floor in a casino, like the rest of us, anything exciting happening, people are going crazy, right? It is yelling, it is screaming, it is in slow motion. It's like you're in the movies. You know, manager said, Kelly, why you wouldn't this big money? Uh, you're never exciting, never screaming. People wouldn't $5 they screaming. With Phil, it's almost uncomfortable because there is so much money and it is the opposite of what you sort of expect the visceral nature of this kind of moment to be um, that it's a little unsettling. You know, I think this is my job. I can win, I can lose. But then, around 6 p.m., a suspicious floor manager tells Phil and Kelly that they're going to replace the cards. One of the rules of game protection is that if you don't know what's going on, you change the cards. So you don't know whether the cards are marked, you don't know whether there's some defect, you don't even know if anything's going on at all, but you'll change the cards with the idea that you'll do this very simple, ordinary procedure and see how the players react to it. And if they react negatively, then that means that there's something to investigate there. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Kelly and Phil call it a day. They walk out with the receipt for their winnings, $12 million to be wired to them shortly. But Crockford's never wires the money. The casino withheld Ivy's winnings after in-house security studied surveillance footage of his games. One of the um, people at Crockford's had this memory of this trick his grandfather used where he would use a deck of cards that had an asymmetric back and turn all the cards in one direction, have his grandkid pick out a card. And while the grandkid was looking at his card, grandpa would rotate the cards he was holding by 180 degrees so that when the kid put the card back into the deck, it was the only card in the deck that had the opposite alignment. And it didn't matter how mixed up the cards got by shuffling, he could always pick out that one card that was out of alignment. This is one of the oldest card tricks in the books, used by grandfathers and magicians alike. Sorry to ruin the magic for you. So after this um, memory came back, that's when they started to suspect that that was the type of move that Phil and Kelly put on. When the news broke publicly that Crockford's wouldn't pay, Kelly and Phil were in Atlantic City, at the Borgata, pulling this exact same play. We rather we were flat to uh, Borgata. We make a three pounds three million. Reporter, they come to Phil. Reporter ask Phil about a London case. Mm, I said, Phil, let's go. We don't play. He said, No, this is a last time play. Maybe the news come out. We never can play. Phil was right. The jig was up. 
That would be the last time that Kelly Sun and Phil Ivey played together as a team. Phil sued Crockfords to get his money. In October 2014, Phil Ivey testified in front of a judge in a London court. He didn't cheat, he says. Crockfords was simply foolish enough to underestimate him. Phil Ivey has a reputation, earned or not, for being somebody who blows a lot of money in casinos. He's done a really good job of promoting himself as a guy who, um, you know, bets super high at craps, takes a lot of risks. Um, But he is known for being a guy who likes to gamble. And so the casinos give him a pretty wide berth. I mean, you know, they, um, they accommodate him. When Phil walks into a casino and he isn't playing poker, the casino's eyes might as well turn into little dollar signs. The casino wins according to the formula total wagers times house edge. So they view each wager a high roller makes as a certain amount of profit. So in the case of Phil, where he's betting $100,000 a hand, the casino with a 1.5% edge or 1% based on how he's playing, is viewing that as they're earning $1,000 a hand off of him. And what are you going to do if a person is playing 50 hands an hour and you're earning $1,000 a hand? You'll do anything for them, right? There's an old saying in the business, right? There's There's only one thing worse than a player winning a million dollars off you. There's a player with a million dollars going playing next door at the casino. When you've got a million dollar player in your house, ooh, you handle them with kick gloves. They're like spoiled little brats, right? Just, oh, you re- well, that sounds a bit weird that you want them to do that, but I don't see anything wrong with that. Go, go ahead, take the banana. If I make a request and the house grants it, then how could that be cheating? You know, that's me making a request to give myself an advantage, you granting it, saying it's okay. I don't see how this play can be considered cheating, given the fact that Kelly and Phil never touched the cards. They didn't deal the game. They just observed the game being dealt. I I think it's absurd for people to call it cheating. In my jurisdiction, the Willie Allison jurisdiction, it's cheating. You don't play games when you know what the outcome is before your bet. Who does that? That's a fix. My feeling on these is the casinos are using advantage play. So why is it any less uh, fair for any of the players to use advantage play? The only thing that the casinos get angry about is that they're being outsmarted. They conspired using deception to gain an unfair advantage over the house by knowing what the cards were. Nobody else in the house knew what the next card out of the shoe was going to be. That's not gaming. That's not randomness. That's not integrity. How they got to that point, yeah, they conned the staff to do it. Yeah, everybody should be sacked. We're not cheating. We just ask. I want to play Baccarat. I want to use these cards. The casino can say no, and that's fine. Then we'll leave. But in London, we requested everything, and they said sure. No problem. The casinos said yes to all their requests because they thought Phil was just there for a casual game. And they never even considered that his mysterious Asian companion might be the most dangerous advantage player their casino had ever seen. 
Because you you know all the uh, white people are, are out and the casino manager, they all looking Asian woman is a stupid gambler and play bagger. All the stupid. They're thinking this way. I know. They think Asian people are very superstitious. When I go to the casino, they can't tell I'm a professional gambler. For example, when I was at the tournaments, they all thought that I was just a random Chinese girl, and that there's no way I could bankrupt their casino. And I hate to say this, but we're in a very sexist, you know, uh, industry. I think because she was a woman, they just kind of denied that. Crockford's wasn't the only casino that didn't like this play. In a lawsuit, the Borgata claims Ivy swindled nearly ten million dollars. Borgata officials finally caught on after Ivy's fourth visit, when they learned he had been accused of edge shorting by the London casino Crockfords, which withheld more than twelve million dollars of his winnings just two months earlier. Phil lost both cases the first time around. A London judge ruled that Crockfords didn't have to pay him, and a New Jersey judge ruled that Phil and Kelly had to give their money back. Phil is appealing both decisions. His lawyers recently presented their case in front of the London Supreme Court. Now, edge sorting has never been declared illegal anywhere, which means Ivy's cases could have the potential to set some pretty big precedents. Which means that players like Richard Munchkin are watching these cases closely. People ask me a lot: Do casinos cheat? Well, this is the way casinos now cheat. They they don't have to mark the cards. They do what we call a free roll. If they win, great. If you win, all right, we're just not going to pay you, and you have to try to sue and get the money.、Um, I know of several incidents where the players won. They came out and said,、uh, "We are a private club. According to the rules of our private club, you're not allowed to count cards. You were counting cards, therefore, we're not giving you your money." So、um, they've really been emboldened because of this ruling, and and I really hope that the, that they win this appeal. And Phil is fighting these battles in court in part because his reputation is on the line. Once you get cheater next to your name, especially in in my business, which is the business of gambling, it's it's really bad. You know, I mean, this is about that's the worst thing that you could be labeled as. He has a reputation for winning, and he has a reputation for doing it in a very specific way, and so. He doesn't want to give them excuses to believe he was ever anything less than the best poker player who's ever lived, and the most intimidating poker player who's ever lived. These cases are, at least in some worlds, a big deal, big enough for the paparazzi to show up at some of the court filings. This is the audio recorded by a GoPro perched on top of one of those photographers' cameras. I want a picture with him. I'm a big poker player. <laughs> yeah, you, Come on, take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, not as good as you. <laughs> not as good as you. The cameras swarm Phil Ivy. He smiles. He's used to this. Behind Phil is a team of lawyers, and then twenty feet back, Kelly's son walks by in big sunglasses and a navy blue jacket. She's walking with another Asian woman in a red dress, and nobody knows who they're supposed to be photographing. I don't know which is which. The paparazzi doesn't know which is the woman who masterminded this whole scheme, and which is working on the case. And Kelly is totally fine with that. Her play with Phil may be over, but as long as she can continue to fly under the radar, she can keep winning big at casinos. 
Kelly is banned from MGM properties, but she gambles at other joints on the Strip at least once a week. And she spends weekends scouting casinos all over the country. Some of those places still don't know who she is. But they might soon. I believe as long as I can get into a casino, I can make money. By whatever means. I always find new ways. I can spot their weakness no matter how good they are at hiding. And she doesn't think she'll ever stop. Nobody can control me gambling, yeah. Thanks for listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. My name is Jody Avergan. This episode was produced and reported by Rose Eveleth. Our producers are Andrew Mambo and Julia Lowry-Henderson, and Taylor Barfield and Kate McAuliffe are our production assistants. Mixing, sound design, and original music for this episode by Ryan Ross-Smith. Connor Shell and Libby Geist are executive producers for ESPN Films, Aaron Leiden is senior producer, and Adam Newhouse is director of development. The ESPN Films team includes Deirdre Fenton, Jenna Anthony, Ryan Nantel, Catherine Sankey, Jennifer Thorpe, and Colin Fleming. The ESPN Audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannissini, and Ryan Graner. Special thanks to Ryan Hurley, Ray Dinahan, Rodney Belazare, and RJ Santillo at ESPN New York. We got editorial help for this episode from Carrie Donahue. Chi Young Park and Jason Helig did archival research, and Roger Jackson provided fact-checking. We got translation help from Legion Baker, Rui Mao, and Sinru Guo. Teresa Avia Lim was our voiceover artist. Special thanks to David Schwartz, Joe Sykes, and Dory Mizrashi for research help. And to Gavin Rogers for his paparazzi footage. Our theme music was composed by Rishikesh Hirway of the Song Exploder podcast. We're posting lots of extras on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can sign up for our newsletter through our website, 30for30podcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to 30 for 30 Podcasts in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with more 30 for 30.